This episode of Golden Age, an award season podcast from TV Guide, is brought to you by the TV Guide Podcast Network and our show Survivor Brothers, the ultimate unofficial podcast. Join TV Guide Survivor superfans, Fox Van Allen and Lance Cartelli, every week as they dig deep into season 39 of the hit CBS competition reality TV show. You'll get interviews with your favorite Survivor castaways, strategy deep dives, unique insights, and more. It's the perfect way to keep up with Survivor 39, Island of the Idols. So subscribe to Survivor Brothers, the ultimate unofficial podcast from TV Guide now, wherever you stream your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Golden Age, an award season podcast from TV Guide. I'm TV Guide Editor-in-Chief Christopher Rosen, and thank you for joining us. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be talking to Lauren Zupkis, Senior Social Media Producer of TV Guide and Chowhound. Lauren's going to be on to talk about Timothy Chalamet and The King, uh, Timothy's new Netflix movie, which came out on the platform last Friday. She's going to share her thoughts on uh, Timothy culture. She is a Timothy stan or Chalamet stan. I don't know. How do you do, fellow kids? Whatever you want to call it. Uh, So Lauren's going to be here to talk about the king and just Timothy in general. And then coming up after Lauren, we're going to talk to Liam Matthews, an editor at TV Guide who has been on the Apple TV Plus beat and uh, Liam and I are going to discuss The Morning Show and Dickinson and Apple TV Plus in general uh, and some of its movie plans as well. So stay tuned for both of those conversations. But I wanted to start the show by talking about Martin Scorsese and Marvel. Martin Scorsese, of course, one of the greatest directors of all time. He's got a new Netflix movie coming out at the end of the month called The Irishman. It comes to Netflix on November 27th. You can see it right now in select theaters, mostly in New York and LA. It's rolling out around the country in other select venues, independent theaters mostly, or places that Netflix like bought out, like the Blasco Theater in New York. Uh, it is a fantastic movie. I saw it at New York Film Festival. We'll be talking about a lot on this show, obviously, as it gets closer to release and after release. And I think it's going to be a major contender for Oscars. It's a major achievement. I'll be curious to see how people engage with it on Netflix because it's so long. The movie is three and a half hours. As part of his press tour, I'm going to regurgitate this stuff. If you're listening to the show, uh, you probably have seen this discourse, but I'll do it briefly for those who haven't. Uh, Martin Scorsese earlier in the press tour for The Irishman had said that he felt Marvel movies were not cinema to him, that it was more of a theme park, more of like an experience in the theater, but it's not cinema. It's not art. It's commerce and like a product that people are going to and enjoying. And now those comments were kind of really denounced by Marvel stands and by Disney. Robert Iger took offense to them. And normally in this kind of situation, when someone says something that gets people mad, they produce a cursory apology that is neither legitimate nor really heartfelt and the outrage cycle kind of just moves forward and people forget that the other thing had happened in the past uh but scorsese is like doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on his comments he continues to say marvel movies are not cinema and he actually this week wrote an op-ed for the new york times where his headline is their headline is martin scorsese i said marvel movies aren't cinema let me explain And the piece, which is incredibly well-written and just like you could hear Martin Scorsese's voice coming through, which I always love. Marty, great writer. If you want to write for tvguide.com, let me know. You can find my email address online. Uh, Scorsese here basically explains his comments and says, you know, he discusses the history of film and how he grew up and maybe he's not the audience for these movies and this and that. 
But then later in the piece, he really gets to the heart of the issue. And I just wanted to read a couple of passages from it. Not that we need more conversation about this. And I'm sure by the time this podcast airs, uh, you will be tired of this or it's possible Martin Scorsese will have put up a TikTok or a YouTube video or something else to say that Marvel movies aren't cinema. But right now, let's just work with the op-ed. Here's something he wrote. Martin Scorsese in the New York Times, quote, in the past 20 years, as we all know, the movie business has changed on all fronts. But the most obvious change has happened stealthily and under the cover of night, the gradual but steady elimination of risk. Many films today are perfect products manufactured for immediate consumption. Many of them are well-made by teams of talented individuals. All the same, they lack something essential to cinema, the unifying vision of an individual artist, because, of course, the individual artist is the riskiest factor of all. And then he later says, uh, he's saying, you know, uh, he, has, he continues and says, I'm certainly not implying that movies should be subsidized art form or that they ever were. And he explains some history about the Hollywood studio system. And then he says, you know, that there was always a tension between the artists and the people who are in the business, but it was a productive tension that gave us some of the greatest films ever made. Today, that tension is gone. And there are some of the business with absolute indifference to the very question of art and an attitude toward the history of cinema that is both dismissive and proprietary, a lethal combination. The situation, sadly, is that we now have two separate fields. There's worldwide audiovisual entertainment and there's cinema. They still overlap from time to time, but that's become increasingly rare. And I fear the financial dominance of one is being used to marginalize and even belittle the existence of the other. That is just a complete distillation, I think, of what we're talking about the show and the movies in general and my kind of my attitude towards movies as well. I, I talked about this with Jordan Hoffman on an earlier episode, uh, Dolomite is My Name, in the Laundromat episode, uh, that movies sometimes now just don't exist, right? That if the movie doesn't have – if a movie is not a Marvel movie and it also doesn't have like an Oscar sheen to it and it just gets dropped onto a platform or released into theaters, there's no cultural staying power to it. It does not exist. There's no way for an audience to even catch up. There's so much content. There's so much everything. And there's no real like, you know, you can't just stumble upon to something. And to me, that's an issue because even a movie like The Laundromat, which again, I liked and people really dismissed and did not like for a variety of reasons, that movie is a huge risk. They're taking a big swing. Steven Soderbergh is going for it in that movie. That kind of is not valued. Even at Netflix, where Martin Scorsese made The Irishman, there is a limit to the risk because they can make the movie, but if it doesn't immediately strike a chord, it's just done and dropped and moved on. So I think I, I just like feel like this is a conversation that we've been having. The other thing I've been thinking personally is that you know it's interesting that he cites the past twenty years. A lot of discussions this year, at least on film Twitter and in, in you know in the discourse, has been about the movies of nineteen ninety nine. Uh, 1999 is a classic year for movies. Uh, so many big directors uh, made their like great works or kind of like made the leap. Uh, you had David Fincher with Fight Club and M. Night Shyamalan with The Sixth Sense. You've got movies like Three Kings and Being John Malkovich and on and on and on. You know, it was a tremendous time for movie going that kind of capped off a run of great movie years. 96, 97, 98, 99 are like really formative years for a lot of people and also just like a bunch of really great movies. This was before the superhero boom, before blockbusters, which did exist obviously at that time, really took over Hollywood where you could still see a quote unquote movie that they don't make anymore in the theaters where that quote unquote movie that they don't make anymore 
or in the theaters uh, could potentially make a decent amount of money. Uh, it was just a great time. Even like, um, you know, you look at Sixth Sense, that movie was a humongous hit. Obviously, it had horror elements and it probably would do well if it was released today. But you never know if it would even get made today because Disney uh, is not in the process or Disney is not in the business of creating original things. They're in the business. They're in the business of uh, using their IP to the fullest advantage possible. So he, Martin Scorsese citing 20 years ago, I feel like is really important. And he talks about risk. And I think a lot of the movies in that year, good or bad or indifferent, all had a factor of risk. Uh, and they all, you could feel it on the screen when you were watching them. You could feel an energy. There was not necessarily a danger, but just like a wow, like this is a high wire act. What am I going to see here? And with Marvel movies specifically, which I really love, I would say, you know, Martin Scorsese, check out a Marvel movie. I actually think you'll like them. Black Panther, obviously, I think is like a tremendous achievement, uh, great piece of cinema, at, worthy of all this praise it was received. And I just love that movie. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the original one. And the sequel, both are great movies. I actually think they're both really good. I love Spider-Man Homecoming. I thought Avengers Endgame was one of the best movies released in this year. And if I had to come up with the top 15 list right now for 2019, Avengers Endgame would be on the list. So I really like these movies. And we're not even talking about Star Wars, which I'm like always been obsessed with. And like The Last Jedi is an amazing achievement or, you know, down the line of franchises. I think that blockbusters are great. But I think what Martin Scorsese is getting at is where is the risk in a Marvel movie, you know, back when Avengers came out, I'm going to quote myself, which is dumb. Uh, and I readily admit that. And you could roll your eyes or, you know, hit 30 plus 30 on this and skip past this part. But I remember when Avengers came out, I wrote a blog for HuffPost about it and basically compared it to a burrito from Chipotle. And honestly, that's what these Marvel movies are. They're really good, uh, really well put together, you know, burritos that are like upscale fast food that are, you know, filled with good ingredients that on their own are good and that are like, you know, delicious and, you know, quick hit and you kind of have it and you enjoy it and then you move on. Uh, that's a lot of these Marvel movies. There's a formula to it. There's an assembly line kind of quality to them. The stories they're telling are very much the same and routine. And I think the one, the movies that I've really loved for Marvel are the ones that break out from that routine. The ones I just mentioned, Black Panther is not, is an origin story, but not, and have, has an incredibly nuanced villain in Eric Killmonger played by Michael B. Jordan, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, just a great movie, a lot of fun coming of age story that really kind of twists the Marvel uh, origin story for Spider-Man. Doesn't even do the origin story for Spider-Man necessarily. Guardians of the Galaxy, which is just like a mix of Star Wars and Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I mean, these are like really original takes. And then you get some versions of Marvel movies that are like Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel or, you know, any of the Ant-Mans, which are, again, enjoyable, but like very formulaic and very much uh, – you know, kind of the thing that you're expecting. There's no risk there. The risk is for financial reasons. And even that Disney has, and Marvel have figured out a way to insulate themselves from the risk. Those Marvel movies are made on however much the budget is, and they are going to make a lot of money. You know, they're going to hit uh, a billion dollars worldwide. If they don't, it would be a colossal disaster. Now we'll see in 2020, how the Marvel brand reacts with like the the letdown from Avengers Endgame and, and Spider-Man Far From Home, which were two good movies this year, obviously, and made a bunch of money. Will audiences after this influx be like, yeah, I want to go see Black Widow and I want to go see The Eternals? I hope so. I'm really excited for those movies. But that is where the risk is. It's not artistic and it's not creative. And I think one of the things I've been trying to put my finger on this year as I've watched movies and in the past is – 
what am I feeling when I see these movies and what am I missing that I had when I saw movies in the 90s and when I saw movies in the early 2000s? And it's that like energy that comes from risk. And Martin Scorsese is doing it with Irishman. That is a huge risk. He has de-aged Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and Al Pacino. And you're just like, this is going to be a total disaster. And it totally works. When I watch Marriage Story, that is a huge risk for Noah Baumbach, I feel. you know, And it's an incredible movie and you leave it like this. Jordan Peele's Us. How do you follow the success of Get Out? Well, you make this really weird uh, Twilight Zone movie that has so many different reads and really kind of like very uh, a nuanced approach to modern culture and uh, how we look at the other person in our lives and, you know, what you think about, uh, you know, poverty in this country and all these different things. It is an incredibly nuanced movie. Uh, it's incredible. And it just like, and again and again and again, the movies that I've loved this year are really like the ones that have taken risks. So it is possible that there's these movies exist even in 2019. I think Scorsese's point is that you have, you know, this is all you're giving people. And if you're only giving people this uh, thing, that's the only thing they're going to want. And he actually says that in the piece. And if you're going to tell me that it's simply a matter of supply and demand for the reasons um, I'm adding here, for the reason that like, you know, superhero movies and blockbusters, the only things that people go see in theaters, the IP is ruling the world and giving people what they want, I'm going to disagree. It's a chicken and egg issue. If people are only given one kind of thing and endlessly sold one kind of thing, of course they're going to want more of that one kind of thing. And that's great. And I just think he's totally right. So uh, Martin Scorsese, you're right. You're good. Great op-ed in the New York Times. I guess the next question about this that I would have is, how does the streaming platforms change the way we watch movies? Uh, We had a great piece on tvguide.com this week. We had a great piece on tvguide.com last week from Keith Phipps about like how streaming platforms and cord cutting is really kind of like going to end the rewatchable movie, by which I mean like no one is flipping around TV anymore. And if you are, you're old. No offense. I do it too because I'm old. Uh, Most people who are young or a younger generation, they don't have TV. They're not flipping. They're going to Netflix. They're going to Hulu or Amazon or their YouTube videos that they like to watch and watching them. They're not stumbling upon something. They're maybe going to find things through curation uh, like TV guide lists or, you know, other brands doing best of lists to give people like a guide point. So, so they could go watch the best Martin Scorsese movies on Netflix or, you know, on streaming, but they're not going to just randomly stumble upon, you know, the aviator one day, they're going to have to go find the aviator. And I find that a little, not discouraging, but just like, wow, this is this culture and this, this technology is going to fundamentally change the way people interact with movies. And I think the thing that Scorsese's op-ed doesn't necessarily reckon with is that even when you do have an artist taking a risk and when it, uh, the risk is there and an audience who's going to see that in the theater or at home is super excited about that risk, are they even going to see it? And how are they going to even watch it? You know, when you watch a movie now at home, are you actually just watching it? Do you turn the lights off? Do you not check your phone for two hours? Are people going to watch The Irishman for three and a half hours at home and not, you know, get up and go to the kitchen and grab an ice cream, go to the bathroom, check their phone, check an email, look at Twitter, look at Instagram? I, I have a hard time believing that. Even myself, who used to be like, when I put on a DVD, which is a thing that people used to do, uh, I'm going to, you know, turn off the lights and watch this movie like I'm in a theater. I can't do that anymore. My attention span is shot. Uh, you, there's always something else to look at. Uh, and we have been like kind of conditioned to expect there to be something else to look at. 
and you're treating the TV like a second screen. Your main screen is now your phone. It used to be like, oh, you know, when you're watching the Oscars, the second screen experience is what people are getting on their mobile device. Well, the second screen experience is what's on the TV in front of you. The real screen is on your phone. That's what people are looking at. So I'll be curious to see how, you know, and Martin Scorsese does not address this, but what is this time and what is this moment where you have theme park entertainment and quotes in the theaters and streaming taking risks, maybe like with the Irishman, how are we going to come out of this? And what are people going to be like, you know, in 10 years looking at TV and movies, how are we going to watch these things? And, you know, I don't know if there's an answer to that. Well, listen, I've talked enough about this and I've uh, shown my age enough. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with Lauren Zupkis to talk about Timothy Chalamet and the King. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of Golden Age is brought to you by the TV Guide Podcast Network. All right, hey, we're back here on Golden Age TV Guide Award Season Podcast. I'm joined by Lauren Zupkis, senior social media uh, producer for yes. TV Guide and Showhound. Yes. What a title. I know. Lauren, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so Lauren and I go way back, as maybe you could tell by listening. Uh, we're old friends and now colleagues here. I brought Lauren on because you are a, a, a I called you a Timothy Chalamet stand. Was yes. that appropriate? That's appropriate. Yeah. That's appropriate. And we're going to talk about his movie, The King, which is on Netflix. It came out on Netflix last week. I saw Lauren watching it in parts. At uh, work. At work. Well, for, for work, Don't though. It's for work. Uh, very long movie. It's about, uh, <gasps> it's a medieval epic that re- kind of does uh, Shakespeare's Henry V and like, different parts and it kind of combines those things and timothy chalamet plays like henry v basically and that's just like already you lost me i don't want to that like when i heard that this was coming out i was like oh god i don't do period pieces i don't care like you know red flag does not pass the bechdel test whatsoever no i find it really funny that uh you've got like what's gonna call it uh Lily Rose Depp is such a huge part of their marketing campaign. Right. And then she's not even in it until right. the last five minutes. Right. Which yeah. we talked about briefly yesterday. We did. But we I mean, did. because they're dating or whatever, maybe. Yeah. I mean, good, honestly, though, to me, good on the marketing team because that's what I would do to sell this movie. I do, I make, you know, as a social editor, you have to be the little clickbait and get that in there. And that's like what I do all day long. So I respect, shout out. Whoever is marketing Lily Rose Depp in The King, because there's not much else there. No. And that those pictures of them like making out on a boat that everybody was talking about, that is the draw. That's the hook, baby. So I support that. So uh so the movie we talked about it was Jordan Hoffman reviewed it for us on TVGuy.com and he just eviscerated he it. He went in and I loved it. The, yes. I think the best line that of his review, which you should read on TVGuy.com, um, is that it was ambient. It was a, it was an adequate substitute, uh, for, substitute ambient. for ambient, which is an amazing drag. Uh, and it is very slow and boring. I will say I will, I fall asleep often watching movies okay. and I did not fall asleep watching this one. Okay. Uh, and I didn't find it as bad as Jordan did, but I don't think it's necessarily good. But right. the thing I was most surprised by was uh, Timothy Chalamet actually is pretty good in it. Like I actually thought he was good in it. And I basically, Mike, what I wanted to say to you is like, 
I wasn't sure if he's actually good. Oh, really? And now I'm like, oh, how, you know what? How could you so, say that? I know. So tell me, so tell how me where. How the hell could you say that? But now I'm like, I think no, he's genuinely good. mad no, at I, you. I just, I just never got the appeal. So that's why I wanted to. Never but now, got the appeal. Have you seen Call Me By Your Name? So Call like, Me By Your Name is really Like he's literally speaking like a million different languages and he's like, so, I mean, what? So that was oh, my I'm hot so take. Okay. I'm so mad so at tell this me, man. So when was <laughs> Sorry, sorry to sorry. this man. <laughs> so tell me for you, what, what was the first yes. time like you saw, when did you like realize Timothy Chalamet exists? For a lot of people, sure, I think sure, it, was sure. it was probably call calling by, by your name. So, but, so was, was that for you or was it before that? Yeah, no. So what happened was, I mean, if it was before that, I would have been creep factor because he was like, what? He was going to Queens High School. <laughs> so no, I did not know him before <laughs> call me by your name. Okay. <laughs> totally fair. Um, but I got into call me by your name because Matt Jacobs, who is the um film critic at HuffPost. Shout out, Matt. Love Matt. Um, he was talking about this movie for days. I guess it had pr- premiered on like a festival circuit before, be- well before it was coming out. And I decided to read the book when I was in Italy, which oh, wow. was really cool because awesome. a lot of the scenes are, you know, happened in Italy. And I remember saying to Matt, I was already on the fence. I'm so skeptical when it comes to like movies. I don't want to be such a hater, but I am. <laughs> Lauren has very high standards. Yes, and like really I good do. Taste too, I so do, like, but it's really tough. But yeah. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say really good because I love me some lowbrow stuff. But lowbrow stuff is good. But yeah, you know, I don't know. Whatever, it's taste. complicated. And so I said to Matt, how are they going to adapt this book? Because a lot of it is like just like an inner monologue and like a lot of it gets weird with the peach and all that stuff. And I'm like, how are they going to do it? And then I saw it and I was like, Oh my God, shook to the core. This young kid, like speaking all these languages, playing piano, like classically trained, like, and then also not for, for what it's, you know, I don't know. I guess kids these days are so woke, but it's like his first explosion onto the scene was like, you know, in this like gay relationship with this older guy. And I just thought like, like what a cool kid to just be like, go for it. And yeah. he just went for it. Yeah. And I was just amazed. And like the Suf John Stevens soundtrack and like, I was crying my eyes out. Like I thought the movie was incredible, but he made the movie. He like did. Army he Hammer was fi- fine. Grit did what he needed to do. But like that kid, like who, here's my question to yeah, you. Who the hell would you have ever even like when you present all the skills that that role requires, who in your mind could do it? No, I don't disagree. I don't think anybody on the scene at the time could do that. And I think that's kind of why he's actually gotten, he just really like, I mean, the call me your name is only two years ago, right? So right. it's like in two years, he's become, I would argue, probably one of the most, he's not necessarily like a traditional movie star, like with box office where you're like, oh, he's like going to be in a Marvel movie or something where they make right, a lot of money. Right, but like, right, right, it's right. hard to imagine another actor like under 30 who has so much like social cachet and like is so popular online right right? like I mean what other like male actors are even in that league there's not many and he kind of has only been doing this in like he's worked obviously he worked for a while like you said he was like a young actor and like he was on like Homeland and like he was a kid and stuff he was an interstellar uh a while ago but now he's like an adult and he's like really quite good I guess I just I was not calling by your name. I agree. He's really good. I just was like, I didn't really see a lot of versatility with his performance. I know that's weird, but I'm like, I understand what you're saying about how good he is in calling by your name, but I'm like, what else can he do? And watching the King, I was like, Oh, you know what? Like he actually is, this movie doesn't really know what to do with his character. Yeah. So like they cast him in this movie in the King because he's like supposed to be like sensitive. A, like, and doesn't like, want to fight. He doesn't want to fight. And he's like the, the, 
playboy like prince basically he's out like partying and stuff and then he's supposed to like grow into this role the movie does not really connect those dots at all and it's like it just totally doesn't but by the end i was like i actually believe he's like he's like doing this and like i could see him like for sure like i just am fascinated by him now as an actor i just find him like and he's got so he's got this and he was in lady bird right uh, what did you think of that i loved him in lady bird i thought that was like a good like because i feel like my big thing with acting is that i'm not sure how much really good actors are actually acting or actresses they're just like you're mostly playing yourself sure in lady bird i was like oh he's like one of those kind of actors where he's like gonna play like a bunch a, of different things or, or maybe like a variation on himself but now i'm like i think he actually is gonna play a bunch of oh different okay things. Yeah. well because i guess i guess i thought it was a little bit i wasn't a, like his lady i love the movie lady bird but his yeah. performance is he's just more a vehicle for her like you know what i mean like i wasn't thinking i didn't walk away from that movie and the right. first thing you think is wow no 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 it. not at all Obviously. it's like he's like that's a, not the point he's a total like c squad character right 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 and that's not the point um but i actually thought and i mean maybe that's me being dumb i don't know whatever but i was thinking like oh well he goes from you know being this like really sensitive and like a romantic like shy guy in 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 Call me by your name. name. And then in Lady Bird, he's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm, you know, whatever. Like, uh, total dick. He's like a fuck boy. Yeah. So I kind of thought that was growth. I don't know why. No, you're actually, you're actually <laughs> you know right now I looking mean? back on it. Because he and has then, the like, swag to be like, right. oh, I'm the clueless loser that doesn't even know that I'm gay yet. And right. then he has the swag to be like, oh, I don't, you know, like right. bagging bitches and not going to the prom. Right. And now <laughs> well, he's playing like this period epic where he's like a king. Here's one thing that I thought was weird, but I actually preferred because in, in period, pieces what I don't like and this is just me being ignorant um I put on the subtitles because I hate the fact that I can never understand what the hell they're saying um but and then the other thing that I don't like about period pieces and this was in the king for sure is just the dark like if you're watching it at home you can barely see what the hell is going on and I'm like I hate this like I get that it's medieval but I hate this and so anyway but the weird thing that Jordan mentioned in his review too is like they're not really doubling down on the like old people ye speak like they say the f word and I was like hmm but I was into that <laughs> I was actually into that, that, was that too that. It, it definitely I hate that. I'm like, I don't care. And also, like you were saying, like, it's impossible to see because it's so dark. Like, the whole movie is, like, very dark. And if you're watching it like most people are at home, it's, like, going to be not easy like Ugh. it's just like you can't see anything sometimes and then it's also it's definitely a Netflix and chill movie you're, yeah, bo- you're, just you're gonna bound put it on. to not want to even finish it right but if you do finish it you get to see little Rose Depp at the end yeah, she plays yeah, like a yeah, stone cold like princess basically that's maybe the draw do they see. hook up so at the very end, she ends Spoiler. up. Spoiler. I'll spoil the whole movie. Yeah, who cares? You didn't finish it. It's fine. So he ends up, they invade France and uh, he kills Robert Pattinson, who plays a really outrageous part. I don't know if you got that far. Well, yeah. I mean, I saw his blonde hair. Absolutely ridiculous. He has this like really, really absurd, like uh, Pepe Le Pew French accent. It's like, it's completely, completely batty. And uh, so he they win the battle or whatever and like then he gets he goes to talk to the king of france or whoever he is and the because it's like medieval times he's like here's my daughter and he's like wedded to marry you know lily rose depp and then she is just like straight up like you're a dummy and like you were totally played by all these people and she's got like a five minute scene and then he's just like oh yeah i'm an idiot and then it just ends with him and her like together but like it's just a weird mix and she's fine totally fine and right. like they have fine together but uh right. you know i don't know like it's not that i, I just am be curious to see i think netflix has really put a lot of 
they really promoted this movie. Like, I mean, I think on their Twitter accounts and their social accounts, they've been really pushing it. So I would wonder if it's actually, I could see it doing well for them because of Timothy Chalamet. At least people are going to put it on. People are going to put Definitely it on, gonna but watch I don't it. think people are going to talk about it. I don't think, I don't think they're going to talk think, about it beyond him. I think they him. were right to just talk about, Lily oh, death. yeah, that's yeah. it. Throw up like memes of her and throw yeah. up like a couple of like memes of Robert Pattinson yeah. and like call it a day. And, yeah. But they, they're going to get more conversation out of this movie you know, as hilarious as it might sound, than some of their other movies that they have that are like maybe better or like, you know, more people are going to be talking online about this than certainly like the laundromat or like Triple sure. Frontier or whatever, sure. you know, so it's because it just because of him. And I think that's like kind of fascinating. So it's like good, good to be in the Timothy Chalamet business, I guess. It is. I mean, hello, he's young and cute and everybody likes him. And he and but here's my question, I guess. Yes. What do you want to see him do next that you think would really like solidify like what kind of role? And he's Chris is a big dream fantasy caster. So I'm sure that you've thought about it. I have a little. I mean, I kind of like look at him as like everybody's always like, who's the next like Leo? I and I'm like, I think that's him. Right. So like he's got like I would love to see him in one of like those Leo. Like, I mean, if you if Call Me By Your Name is like a Titanic type kind of thing okay. for him. Right. Like, I'd love to see him do one of the like the Leo like you know, Wolf of Wall Street type things. I know you don't like that movie. He but loves like, Wolf of Wall Street. But I would like Street. to see like that kind of I like. I don't understand why. Not necessarily like a remake of that, but that kind of like <laughs> energy and vibe from like Timothy Chalamet. Like, like a like, scammer. A scammer or like a villain or something like that. I think he'd actually really I thrive in that. I would love to see him be a scammer. Yeah. Like, like I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Like they blew it. Oh, did you see Molly's game? Yes. Like I imagine if he was like the Tobey Maguire and they gave him like a killer storyline and like the Idris Elba thing wasn't even a thing. Like yeah. that. So in that movie, cool. it was like Michael Sarah playing Tobey right, Maguire. Right. I right. think Timothy Chalamet, if they were making that movie now, yeah, they would have redone it. Yeah. Like I think he be could really have been a good. perfect. Or what if he like did like literally like Leonardo, like imagine doing like, it doesn't even have to be the same thing, but a movie based on like the pussy posse or whatever. Yeah. Oh, like oh. how much would he crush that? Oh, and like you could just do it, even if you God. can't do like an actual autobiography of that whole time. Like, Yo. use like the original article from New York Mag as like the basis of a story and cast Yo. him as like an actor. Okay, are you listening to projects, Hollywood? Like, literally, <laughs> this is this. like. Yo, it's a good idea. It's but, an amazing uh, idea. No, I'm I'm excited to see what he does now. <laughs> the next stuff he has coming out, just uh, we'll wrap this up here. But the next stuff okay. he has coming out is Little Women. He plays Laurie in Little yes. Women this yes. later this year. It's a re reunion with uh, Greta Gerwig and Saoirse Ronan. Very nice. I'm yeah. sure he's going to be really good in that. Yeah. And I'm excited to see that. Right. And he's in a he's in the lead of uh, Dune. It's a sci-fi adaptation that. Okay. Uh, it's coming out in a couple of years God or bless. next year. You actually. lost me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's a Timmy. remake. And then sorry to that man as well. <laughs> yeah. And then he's in like a Wes Anderson movie. Oh, uh, see, I would next watch year that. Sorry. Well. And I me. think he might be <laughs> like a lead in that. And then if they ever, you know, the other thing is like they wrote, uh, there's a, a sequel to call me by your name that the author I... actually wrote that came out this year. Wait, did he drop that book yet? Cause I gotta get I think, on that. I, I didn't did. think the book was out yet. It's either out now or coming out very soon. Oh my God. And, uh, there's, I guess if the book is successful, there's no reason why they actually couldn't do a sequel to the movie. Facts, facts. So like he could obviously like revisit that role. And Army Hammer's free. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> it would be interesting actually if they did like, you know, like the before midnight movies where they go back every like five years or so. Like yeah. it would be kind of cool to do that with those guys and like him and like as he grows up and like in that role. So, but I hope Andre smashes this book because I loved the first one and I didn't think it needed a sequel and now I'm panicking. Yeah. Nothing ever needs a sequel. Nothing ever needs a sequel. Just Except the, for Homeward Bound 2, Return to San Francisco. 
I don't think those dogs kept running and that's just what it was. Realistic. I want a realistic sequel and your dogs will get out again. <laughs> I can't say it better than that. Uh, so we're, we're going to take a break here and we'll be back to talk about Apple TV Plus with Liam Matthews. Lauren, thank you so much for joining I me here. I loved being here. All right, we'll talk later. Bye. Thank you. Bye. This episode of Golden Age, an award season podcast from TV Guide, is brought to you by All I Want for Christmas is this podcast, obsessive reviews of TV holiday movies. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on Golden Age, and I'm joined by Liam Matthews, editor here at TV Guide. Liam, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. sorry I'm a little bit sick, so... Sounds great. Uh, okay. Totally fine. Just uh, <laughs> we'll cough into the windscreens and we'll like lice all them off later. It's right. totally fine. Uh, so I'm ha- I have Liam here. We're going to talk about Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, what a service. Can't wait. Such a great launch. Nobody had a problem with how it was de- <laughs> debuted or anything. The shows have gotten great reviews. Obviously, It's just what a what a right. time to be. Money there. well spent. Just awesome. Uh, no, it was seeming like a total disaster. Uh, certainly from a, it just, I don't know. I, I don't, the whole, the, I don't know. It's basically like the whole theme of Apple TV plus there's a bunch of shows on it, but not a lot no. of shows. Uh, there's a app and platform that doesn't super work very well. It seemingly, uh, and then, you know, more stuff coming and it costs money. But like, why are you going to subscribe to this if you're going to also subscribe to Netflix and Disney Plus and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, that's basically it. So thank you. That's it. Thank you, Liam, for joining us. No, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> so Liam, let's start. I want to just talk about the shows briefly. You watched them and reviewed a lot of them for mm-hmm. for TVGuide.com. Uh, we, I know we both are enjoying Dickinson. Yes. Would you say that's like the best one so far? Yes. Of the, of the initial launch, which was the morning show, which is their flagship. Yes. Uh, Dickinson C for all mankind and the elephant queen, which I didn't, I yes, didn't watch it. That's yet. a documentary, yeah, a nature documentary. Nature documentary. Yeah. Um, Dickinson is pretty far and away the best one. Yeah. It, it feels, uh, like a very good version of like the Riverdale-fication of TV shows, right? Where it's like a modern spin on like a kind of tired genre and yeah. it's like, but it's set in the period, but it's like anachronistic or, you know, and there's like really modern music and montages mm. and stuff like that. It's fun. And like Haley Steinfeld's actually quite good. She plays Emily Dickinson in the show. And it's like about her, like trying to fight against the social mores of the time. Yeah, yeah. Like by becoming like a poet and this and that. It's a really entertaining show. I find it interesting that I, I, I have to be honest, blind spot here. I have not watched Beyond Dickinson and The Morning Show, so I don't know mm-hmm. how the rollout for the other shows have worked. But Dickinson is the full season, so you can yes. watch right now like a normal Netflix drop. I think it's like eight or ten episodes. Yes. The other shows are not doing that. Morning Show did three episodes. I don't know how many did C do, do you know? Three. The other ones did All three. All did three. Yeah. So already I find that fascinating because I'm like, Dickinson is the one I think that most people have agreed is like the best one, and it's the one that you could watch the whole thing. Morning Show, they eventually did release screeners to critics for the rest of the season. Mm. I have not watched those yet because I want to be experiencing it with the people uh, when it happens. But uh it's interesting that that I think alone is like maybe a learning lesson for Apple TV plus in general. It's just like, maybe you should have just dropped all these shows at once and let people get into it. Well, they're trying the Hulu model. Yeah. It seems like they're trying like all the models, right? Right. It's like they have like some, they're doing the Hulu model where it's like a few episodes and then like episode weekly, which I think sometimes Hulu does a full drop. too. Sometimes I don't know. Maybe they are just doing the Hulu model then. I mean, like I find it like, you know, I do think a lot of shows, like we've seen this with like HBO Max, I feel like has talked about this and Disney Plus, they're going to do weekly kind mm. of drops on these shows. And 
you know, trying to get back to that like water cooler thing. And I think when the show is good, like a Watchmen, like we're both loving and like, you know, succession, it works. Like yeah. you could watch it and like, it's fine. When the idea is just volume and content and it's like, who cares? Like they're, it's actually better to just drop it all at once. Cause it totally gets lost in the discourse. You could, you know, promote it and maybe people find it. It doesn't yeah. really matter. They don't care about the quality. People it's won't just more, come back to it. Right. It doesn't matter. It's just like a hit. Like, and I feel like with a lot of the Netflix shows recently, that's been the case. Like I was trying to watch, uh, Daybreak. Did you check that one out? Didn't like it. Not good. And yeah. it's just like, again, it just felt like just fodder for like the service where it's like, oh, here it is. Just yeah. throw it up. They put so that like, out on a Thursday, which is like, oh, they're just putting out, you know, it doesn't shows. even matter anymore, right? Like yeah. willy nilly. They're just throwing stuff up. So I feel like Apple TV Plus is maybe like, we're not going to do that. We're going to try to compete more with like an HBO or like whatever the Disney Plus model is, and we're, or maybe Hulu, and we're going to do like more prestige things. The problem is the shows are just not good yeah. uh or certainly not strong enough like if you think back to like netflix had like house of cards that was like a thing that people were like wow mm -hmm. super excited and just a new black both two very very good shows right out of the gate and also like kind of like different than what people had seen before even if like house mm -hmm. of cards was like a remake uh it was not something that was like widely seen and it was like, oh, you have these like big stars at the time. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you know, obviously much more fraught, but you have like you big got stars. Fincher. Yeah, and Fincher. And it's like you could promote this and it's like, wow, this is really good. Apple TV Plus certainly went for that with mm -hmm. the morning show, but it's just not, I, I'm enjoying it so much. I, I say this, yeah. I, I think you are too. It, it we got to talk about this. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good at all. I think there's just no way you could watch it and be like, that is a, qual like a quality show. It's not yeah. going to, you can't review it as like it's good, but it's so entertaining and watchable. Yeah. It's just like it's very, very watchable because it's just like like basically if you get actors of the caliber that they are paying for on the show, because right. really the the main takeaway from the show is, wow, this is expensive. They it's I think they spent what did they say? Like it's like three hundred million dollars for this season. For two, for two, for seasons. two seasons. So yeah. twenty episodes, three hundred million, it's like fifteen yeah. million an episode. Yeah, C an, is also fifteen million an episode. But at least C is you know, like the difference I would say I and again, having not watched C only seen the trailer, it seems like that's like a you know, post apocalyptic yeah. futuristic thing where you're gonna have like to build sets and yeah. stuff. The morning show is like it's in an office. Yeah. And they're, they're paying, spending, they're they're paying pay all this money for like the stars, which are yeah. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. And like the rest of the cast is mm. just in, it's just outrageous. Yeah. It's like Mark Duplass and uh, people who would be leads on, on shows, shows are yeah. like, get like three scenes. They're yeah. like Bell, uh, Bell Powley is, uh, she is an actress who is in a few like indie movies. She is like literally like the 12th person on the sheet. And I'm like, she could like lead. She literally led a movie like three years ago. And yeah. now she's like, not even like, it's just a wild cast. Uh, the show is not good. Yeah. But and, Aniston and, and Reese Witherspoon, they just sell it, you know? They totally sell it. And I actually think if Apple TV Plus had, like, more shows or a higher quality shows, like Dickinson I think is really fun, but there's nothing, it's not like a, it just doesn't, it doesn't have the weight of, like, a lot of these other better shows, yeah. maybe, right? It's, and like, C, good. C is one of the worst shows I've seen. So if C was like Game of Thrones, yeah. and then they also had the morning show, you'd be like, <laughs> oh, this is actually great. Like yeah. if they had a Game of Thrones or they had a flea bag, you yeah. know? And if you look and at like- the morning show is like a- uh, Success. I mean, like basically it's like yeah. Or a bad, like a Sorkin thing. A Sorkin or like or newsroom or like yeah. Succession or whatever. And it's just like, you could see what they were trying to do, but they just did not stick the landing. Mm -hmm. And then you're left with like, what, I just don't understand like who is going to, if you don't have like so basically Apple TV Plus now, uh, you would subscribe. It's four ninety nine a month. If you bought any kind of Apple product in the last like two months, you get it for free for a year, and then it like renews auto. So 
a lot of people probably bought like a new phone recently or maybe AirPods or whatever the hell they bought. That's going to kind of get them an Apple TV plus. That's great. But I mean, who, if you don't have like an app, like who in their right mind would subscribe to this, uh, just to see these show it's just, they're, they're just not good yeah. enough and there's nothing else on the platform. Like, you know, I guess if they were thinking like the HBO or Hulu model, it's like, well, HBO in like the nineties and whatever, you could still watch HBO. Even mm-hmm. if they didn't have original programming, they're like showing movies and like all these different things. It's like Apple TV plus lets you launch the other apps. That yeah. seems to be the big take. I'm not the most technologically advanced <laughs> person, but it seems to be like open this app and then, Oh look, you could watch uh succession on HBO. Mm-hmm. It's like, all here within the, and sometimes, sometimes it plays in the Apple player. Yeah. Sometimes it, opens it launches out. App. So it's just like, I don't, yeah. I don't need this. And they don't also, have, they don't have any library, which is that's that, that is the selling point for the other services is that they have. Certainly that is like, if we want to look at HBO, I feel like HBO max is maybe like a better comp here or even Disney plus. Cause that's coming like this next week. Next week. Uh, Disney Plus has a hundred movies, right? Yeah. And like all these old legacy things. And HBO Max is going to have like every season of Friends and like, you know, uh, South Park. South Park and Big Bang Theory. I know you mm. love the Big Bang Theory. Obviously. Oh, yes. Great show. Uh, HBO does, I mean, Apple TV doesn't have that because they don't have any kind of like deals or anything and they're not doing this. I almost was like, was their big mistake if they could go back not creating a production house? Instead of like why create, I understand they need the app and I'm sure like there's a reason in like the Silicon Valley world of it for why this exists, but it would almost be a better use of everybody's time if they were producing content for these other brands, you know Mm. what I mean? Like making them like almost like a studio rather than like a platform, Mm -hmm. because then you could argue like, well, you know, we could still produce this. We're going to spend this money. And like, I don't know. I don't know how that would work, but I'm like, just like, it doesn't, there's no way this could sustain like a service. Yeah. And they're not going to really. So the coming up, they have uh, The Servant, I think, is an M. Night Shyamalan Which I was show. actually ju- just watching yeah, the trailer. right before I yeah. came here. Yeah. No, I started watching oh, you the watched first the show. Episode. Yeah. Any good? I'm very into it. So that's good. And then you've got uh, the, the uh, podcast show, I think, right, with Octavia Spencer oh, yeah. and Lizzie, Lizzie Kaplan. They have a movie that will eventually, I don't know how they're going to do movies, but they produce something called The Banker with Samuel Jackson mm-hmm. and Anthony Mackie that will be in theaters and then like later on Apple TV. Okay. Uh, and then like, I don't really know what else they have coming and yeah. it's just like i don't know if they, they know have amazing stories but that was like and a lot of the other thing with this is that all the production on these things has been super fraught like amazing stories yeah. went through a showrunner they have like a kumal nanjiani show mm-hmm. that actually sounded really cool when they did their like presentation a few months ago but that's nowhere to be seen yet so they're obviously still like working on that maybe that'll end up being good uh it's, i think it's about like the immigrant experience in like yeah. america and like different stories like an anthology type thing so it's like i guess they have potential there but again none of the when you have so many things to watch and so many services to pay for. Like, who is going to... I just don't know how it's going to yeah. stand out. Well, I mean, I don't think they need it to. I think, really, like, the fact that it's included... Yeah. Like, what they're going for is enough people will, you know, get new devices or, you know, have this service through whatever sure. know, f- promotion we give them. And then they just have it. Like, they like the app enough or they like you know, one of these shows well enough to keep it at $5 a month. Sure. Which is the same sort of um, thing that they did with Apple Music, Mm -hmm. which is, um, like, so they already had the Apple TV app. Right. And then Apple TV app, I think that's one of the Black Eyed Peas. And then, um, but it was like, when they kind of phased out iTunes and were replacing it with Apple Music, it was the same sort of thing where it's like, 
oh, I already have Apple Music. Right. So, so I'm just going to keep, keep it. it. I mean, I think a lot of it is that. I think it's like, and also a lot of it is like, they've bought them by having it free for so many people who buy like new devices in the next like few months, they've basically bought themselves another year mm. to like actually find their house of cards. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, eventually, you know, I'm sure they're very smart people working at Apple TV. Plus like maybe they're actually going to find like yeah. one of these shows is just like, Oh my gosh, this is the best. Like it's a flea bag yeah. or it's like a succession or a watchman. And you're like, I have to subscribe to see this. And then all of a sudden you break through, I guess that's the play. Mm -hmm. But right now it's just like, a, it was a rough launch, yeah. I would say. Growing pains. Growing I mean, pains. they really have, they just haven't figured out how to do it yet. No. And um, uh, it's it's just watching them, especially, I guess the thing that's so odd is watching Apple, which is such a successful brand, obviously, and like one of the biggest, you know, brands of the last like 30 years that has been a, just a hit maker. Trillion uh, dollar company. Just to like stumble so badly in a space yeah. like that, like this. Is but just, it's a different, it's an entirely it's different, different business than yeah. they've been in before. Like. And Silicon actually, Valley, it's not Hollywood. No. Yeah. And I guess it makes you really appreciate, I guess, these other services all yeah. of a sudden where I'm like, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I get Apple TV. We just, we knocked daybreak. Apple TV plus would kill for a daybreak <laughs> right now. Uh, Liam, this has been a pleasure. Hopefully for you too. Yeah. For me. Uh, thank you for joining me here. Let's go the watch the morning show. Yeah. I can't wait. Like, I can't wait to see what happens. All right. We'll be right back. All right, that's it for this episode of Golden Age, a TV Guide Award season podcast. I want to thank my guests, Lauren Zupkis and Liam Matthews. If you liked what you heard on this episode, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. I'll leave a comment. Let me know what you think. And uh, thank you again for listening to Golden Age. <laughs>